What's up, Northgate? This is weird, right? I'm right here. I'm excited to be in this uh, capacity talking with you guys today. For those of you who recognize me normally, uh, I'm doing music. I'm leading worship for you guys. Uh, And recently, in the last few months, my job kind of switched, where I get the privilege of filming these stories and editing these stories and really hearing uh, the transformation that's happening in your lives. So uh, if you have a story and you'd like to share that, come talk to me after. I would love to hear it. You can also submit it through the app. But today... We're talking about hymns. Yeah, woo. We're continuing our summer soundtrack series. The first week, Pastor Jesse talked about Amazing Grace, and it was incredible. Some might say amazing. He gave me $5 to tell you guys this. Uh, and then Pastor Larry, oh my gosh, he killed it with Come Thou Fount last week. He gave me $10 to say that. Um, but today, we're talking about one of my personal favorite hymns. It's the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Who's heard of Be Thou My Vision or ever sang it? Yeah, like a handful of you guys. It's a really old song that few people have ever done. I grew up in a really small church in North Carolina uh, with, you know, yeah. Woo! there's one of us everywhere. Um, yeah, I grew up out there in this really small church with a, a, a song leader behind a pulpit that was like the size of my car. And then there was like this little old lady on the piano. It was normally my mother. And uh, we would sing only hymns only hymns. We weren't allowed to do that devil's rock and roll uh, that you guys sing here at this church. Um, It was a really terrible way to grow up when you were growing up in that, but then you look back on it, you're like, man, I got to sing some really powerful songs that I didn't even recognize until now. And as we were going to do this series and we were diving in, I was like, man, this is exciting. I already know all of these songs. However, the song, Be Thou My Vision, we never sang that one. That one wasn't one of the 10 we did every month. So I didn't hear this one until about the early 2000s when the hipsters made it cool again. Uh, You know, like vinyl records and flower shirts, they bring all this stuff back in. And this song kind of came back into circulation. And Be Thou My Vision now, maybe you've sung it in your church, maybe you've heard it. Um, I don't think we've ever done it at Northgate. I think I talked to Jesse about it. I was like, why have we not done it? It's the best one out there. Uh, it, it is one of my personal favorite songs. Now, I'm not just saying it's an old song because I'm so young. It really is an extremely old song. We don't even know the exact date that it was written. It started like most hymns. It was a poem first, and then it was put to music much later. It's believed to have been written as far back as the 5th century. It was written, they believe, because it's so old, they don't even really know who wrote it, but it's believed to have been written by St. Patrick. We all know St. Patty. We celebrate him every March. Uh, We don't really, I didn't actually know what he did. So uh, he was a missionary to Ireland. Did you guys know this? This is cool stuff. We're celebrating a missionary every March. Um, So there's a really cool story I want to share with you about St. Patrick's life that I read this week as I was studying for it. And the reason I want to share it is because it gives some, it sheds some really good light on the kind of person St. Patrick was. So this was in 433 AD. There was a pagan king, LaGuire, and he had this ritual. Every spring, he would say, he'd pass this law that was like, there can't be any light in the town. There can't be any light here. He would go up on top of this hill, light this massive bonfire, and it would signify a few things, that he was the God King that brought light to the world. All of the town would then come up to him, and they would bring their torches, and they would illuminate their house from this bonfire. It was also the start of spring. So he's the God King who brings the seasons into change. And then it also started uh, the pagan festival. I don't know the name of the festival. It took me a long time to just learn how to say LaGuire. I know it sounds easy, but if you saw how it was spelled, you would understand my pain. 
So this is a really weird thing. So one year, St. Patrick, who was a missionary, he goes to the hill adjacent to this bonfire pagan king hill, and he lights his own bonfire. And he says, there is one God king, and it's not you. Uh, And we're celebrating that he rose from the grave this Easter, which was probably right around the time they were doing that. It's like, he brings light into the world, not you. This is insane that he would do this. This is suicide. And the king was so surprised. He's like, all right, well, cool. You can live. I will allow you to live. You can continue your mission work in Ireland, which makes no sense. That's insane that he let him do it. But the lesson we can learn from St. Patrick's life is that he cared less about his current situation and more about eternity. And I think it's from that character, from that life, we get a poem as powerful as Be Thou My Vision. It was later translated into a really new, cool, hip version that we sing today in churches with all the these and the thous, because it had to be translated to English. It, wasn't, it was really old back then. Now it's cool. It's a really cool song. Um, so it was translated in like the early 1900s, and that's the one that we get to sing today. But from St. Patrick, we get powerful, powerful lyrics, this overarching song that has something very powerful to teach us. The word, be thou my vision here, I don't think it's talking about your sight, not your eyesight, the things that are in front of you. Vision here is referring to uh, planning your future out with wisdom and creativity. You know, companies have a vision statement. Here at Northgate, we actually just put our vision up on the wall out in the lobby. Maybe you've seen it. If you walk in the doors, look up, and you're going to see it. It's right there. And we actually revealed our fresh new vision to you at the last weekend in June. If you missed that message, you can go check it out on our YouTube channel with all the other messages. Make sure you go over there if you miss a weekend. And, we, and, and Pastor Larry kind of gave this fresh new vision of what it is. And it's, we want to see our homes, our communities, and our worlds transformed through pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. So our goal, our main goal for our lives is that we want to see our homes, community, and world transformed through the vehicle, the way that we are now going to live, every decision that we make is going to be through the lens of pursuing God, building community, and unleashing compassion. If we're not doing those three, we will not see our homes, community, and world transformed, at least not the way that we want to see them. You know what I mean? If you might have a vision statement in your life, and that's going to help you guide to the man or the woman you want to be, but if, you're not, if you don't have a way to get you there, you're not going to end up there. You'll end up somewhere else entirely. So to the songwriter, what he thinks the main vision of his life should be is found in the first verse of this song. It's right here. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. What we see here is his vision, what he wants his life to be, is found in a relationship with God, an intimate, personal relationship with God. We see, not be all else to me, save that thou art. It's a great line. It's beautiful. Why don't we have those in our songs today? Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Nothing else matters except for you. And that is his ultimate vision. And and you can tell where he got it from. We can read in Philippians uh, chapter 3. This is Paul writing here. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Paul got that. He understood there is nothing more precious, nothing more valuable than at the end of your life to say, I have a relationship with God. 
Nothing else matters. Nothing else is as important as that. And then St. Patrick, we believe, penned this poem out of that, that life that did not care about this world because he knew there was a better one ahead. So we're going to look at that. What does it look like to have that as your vision? What's the vehicle that's going to get him to this ultimate relationship? And as we go through the song, there's three things I want to point out that are either going to make or break his vision. Three things that are going to get him there or keep him from getting there if not done correctly. And I think they apply to us. They're three everyday things. They're very, very simple. But before I go forward, I want to first uh, preface this by saying everything that is written in this song is of a kingdom of God mindset. If you've been joining us for a few weekends or years or months, whatever it is, you've probably heard us talk about this kingdom of God mindset. But if you haven't joined this uh, and this is your first time, a kingdom of God mindset is completely different than the kingdom of man. And it's a complete flip. It's a new way to be human. The kingdom of God, if you want to be first, actually, it's by being last. If you want to be famous, popular, if you want to have success, it's about serving other people. And it, it, it doesn't really make sense to the world. And you can tell that the way that our world operates, but that's the way Jesus lived his life. That's the life that he's called us to, and we're going to break these down. So these three things are through a different lens. He's saying, how can I view this through the kingdom of God to then impact them to get, them, get me to my vision of having this intimate relationship with God? So the first one is wisdom. Ooh, such a smart word. Wisdom. Wow. The verse reads, be thou my wisdom, thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great father, I thy true son, thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. Wisdom, uh, a practical definition of the word wisdom would be putting into practice the things that you know. And I'm not going to jump out in front of a truck because I know the truck's going to kill me if I jump out in front of it. That's wisdom. Thank you. Um, (laughs) A biblical definition of wisdom could also be the guiding of God's Holy Spirit into decisions, into right decisions based off of an understanding of who he is. So from a knowledge of who God is, what he's done, what his character is, I am now going to make decisions that impact my life because the Holy Spirit is leading me. That's what the songwriter is saying right here. Now, wisdom can be this kind of lofty idea. You know, how often do we pray for wisdom? I'm switching jobs. God, give me wisdom to find the right job. Give me wisdom to deal with my family. If you have children, give me wisdom with my kids. If you are a kid, give me wisdom with my parents. If you're trying to pick a college, give me wisdom of which school to go to. We ask for wisdom, but we don't really break it down and say, well, how am I actually going to get the wisdom? What does it look like if I actually got the wisdom? How do I keep the wisdom? You know what I mean? It's just become one of those buzzwords that we use. I really want wisdom. The songwriter actually tells us how to get wisdom, how to keep wisdom, how to walk in wisdom. And it's found right in here. It says, thou in me dwelling and I with thee one. And we find this in John chapter 15, this idea right here. It says, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the word here is abide. Abide in God and you will be led with wisdom by the Holy Spirit. This picture right here makes so much sense to us. If I was to go out to one of the trees out in the parking lot, cut one of the branches off, throw it on the ground, and it dies, no one will be shocked by that. Like, of course, that makes sense. 
But if someone comes up to me and says, man, I'm just not growing in my relationship with God. Well, are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you practicing the presence of God every day? Are you relying on this conversational relationship with God? Well, no, I don't do that. You're not abiding. You're not growing. You're dead then. Oh, well, I mean, why? How did you come to that conclusion? It's about abiding. It's a daily walk. And that will lead you into this wisdom that he talks about, that you can make good decisions, that the Holy Spirit will lead you. First thing that can make or break you on your way to this personal relationship with God is wisdom. If you don't do it right, if you're not abiding, you do not have that wisdom. The second thing, riches. Ooh, I know. First time on stage, he's already talking about money. What is he thinking? Gosh, riches. The verse reads, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou my inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Money is the most dangerous thing in our lives because it is the last area, I'm speaking from experience, it is the last area for me to surrender control, always. You can have my time, you can have my car, don't take my bank account. It's just not the way it works. I've spent, um, I've spent times tithing regularly in my life. I've spent times not tithing regularly in my life. I've spent time giving large sums of money to people when I felt like God told me to. I've also said no when God told me to give large sums of money to people. And I can tell you this, I have never, ever gone to my mailbox and had that glorious return on my tithing check, you know, the $1,000 check in the mailbox. My grandparents have stories on stories of those. I've never gotten one. What? Come on, God. I have never gotten that. But here's what I have gotten. I have never needed ever. Because God has always provided. One story I told in the first service, it's something as simple as my Subaru breaks down and they tell me like, oh, it's going to be an $8,000 bill. The car was worth like $2,000. I'm not going to repair this. And and I remember my parents for the first time in years were like, hey, I think we're going to be able to help you out with with the bill. Like we can help you pay for it. They had less money than I did. And they were able to help me. God supplies in weird ways, guys. He comes through if we are willing to surrender. You see, the kingdom of man will always convince you you do not have enough. You have five shirts? You should probably have six. Oh, you have two cars? We'll get a third. Come on. And it's not just our money. The kingdom of man will, te- will, will say the same thing for uh, acclaim, praise, um, our relationships, the praise that we want. I could play a song right now on the guitar, you guys, I'd have five people come up to me after and say, wow, that was amazing. And my first thought would be, what about that person walking by? Why didn't they tell me I did so great? <laughs> come on. You, you see how this, how this world works? You'll never have enough. But the kingdom of God says you have everything you'll ever need and more. And that's where we, that's what God's inviting us to. You're not giving to the church because you're going to make us rich. Talk to anybody on staff. We are not rich people. You're giving to the church because God has invited you into this relationship where you surrender something so sticky and messy as finances. And God takes it and does incredible things with it for the kingdom of God. And he builds up his community here in Benicia, in Vallejo, wherever else we get to filter this money into. And God does amazing things with your generosity. It's all about surrendering it. So the way that the songwriter here fixes this problem of money and of fame is he switches the value. He says, I'm not going to put my value on money or what people think about me anymore. I'm changing it. High king of heaven, my treasure, you are. 
Now, God is the most valuable possession that we can have. That relationship with him is the most valuable possession that we can have. Third thing that can make or break you on your way to this vision is power. Boom. Big word. I know. I'm choosing some big words here today. Power. The verse reads, Be thou my battle shield, sword for the fight. Be thou my dignity, thou my delight. Thou my soul shelter, thou my high tower. Raise thou me heavenward, O power of my power. Now, this is interesting. If you were to look this song up uh, on Google when you go home and you say, hey, Be Thou My Vision lyrics, or I want to hear a band sing this song, Be Thou My Vision by some group. There's a bunch of great versions out there. I really encourage you to do that. This verse will be left out. You know, Jesse kind of mentioned in the first week we leave out the third verses. This one's like been erased. (laughs) They didn't even just put it in the hymnal and not sing it. They don't even include it in the lyrics most of the time. Which is weird, because it's such a great verse, and I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's just the way us humans work. We hate to be reminded that we're not strong enough. We hate to be reminded of our own weakness, but that's kind of how the kingdom of God works. It's in your weakness that he becomes strong. You know, we read in uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, each time he said, talking about God, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, the hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That does not make sense to this world. And if if you're not surrendered to God and you say, no, I really am weak. I do need God to do that. Or you're not following after Christ. Yeah, you're not getting this. This doesn't make sense. But I want to kind of bring it down and make it a real practical point here today. And I'll tell you a story from my own life. Not to say that, oh, I've really mastered this whole weakness thing. God's really working through my weakness. But there is something beautiful when we can just own up to like, I'm, I can't do this on my own. So I, I got my start in North Carolina. Like I said, where is it? Woo-woo. North Carolina. Uh, I got my start out there. I, I led worship for a few years, and then I moved to Iowa, and then I got to Iowa and realized I quickly needed to leave Iowa, and uh, I, I went all the way to California, and I got my start in Santa Rosa in California. Boop, boop. Yeah. Uh, Santa Rosa. That's a weird noise. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I worked in Santa Rosa for a few years at a church there as a worship pastor, and man, it was, it was great. I, I, I believe God called me to this church. He had so much to teach me, so much to show me. Uh, And then after about a year and a half, I started thinking, yeah, I don't need to be here anymore. I'm done here. God has something else to teach me somewhere else. I don't think he was done yet, but I was done. And so then I began this process of trying to find another job at another church somewhere else because it was time for me to go. And so I started interviewing down in Orange County and Sacramento, North Carolina. I think I interviewed in Texas. I interviewed everywhere and nothing worked out. I got job offers. That's not the problem. But you know how that feels when you're like, oh, this doesn't feel right. That place will probably be worse than where I'm at now. I shouldn't go. I mean, those people are all great probably. It just wasn't right. I couldn't, I never felt that release from where I was at. And then finally, I was so frustrated trying to do it myself that I said, I'm done trying. I'm just going to work here till I die and just be miserable. (laughs) You know how it is in your mind when you feel that way. And then I remember the next day, I, I just like surrendered it. I was like, fine, I'm done. I called everything off, talked to the different churches. Like, no, I'm just going to say, no, I don't want any of this. It's like the next day I woke up and God was saying, all right, you can quit now. 
It's like, oh, now you tell me I can go. But the problem is the way I was raised was probably much like you guys. You don't leave a job till you have the next one. Because then what, what are you doing? And I was like, I have nowhere to go. What am I going to do? But God told me I can leave now, and I don't want to stay, so I got to go. But I got nowhere to go. So I went in that day. I remember it was like God saying, go quit today. Today's the day. Just go in. So I waited till five. You know, I'm not going to quit in the morning. That's just rude. So I waited till the end of the day. I walked in, and I told my boss. I was like, man, it's t- I got to go. It's time for me to leave. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Everything okay? I was like, yeah, it's totally fine. He's like, where are you going? Do you have another job? I was like, no. I got nowhere to go. Um, He's like, well, how long do we have you for? How much longer do you, can, we, can we use you? I was like, man, I got nowhere to go. You can, how long do you need me for? First mistake. Uh, I was like, uh, you know what? He said, how about six weeks? It's like, all right, I'm here for six weeks. Never stay for six weeks when you've left a job. Oh, after two, it just gets depressing. You, get, you stop getting invited to meetings. It's just weird. I literally just sat at my desk just on YouTube for four weeks. Um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. It was in those six weeks... I'm still living in Santa Rosa. I get connected with my buddy, Jerry Shank, who is our student ministries uh, pastor here. He used to work with me in Santa Rosa, and he came down here and started working. I got connected with him. He was like, hey, why don't you come hang out with us guys over here? I got to meet Larry and Jesse, and they're like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if you, like, led worship with us? Just come hang out with us for a weekend. And then that led to, hey, wouldn't it be fun if you worked here? Like, that would be awesome. And it wasn't what I wanted at all. I was set on being a bum and living off my parents' couch for the next five months. And it was, a, it was a, a job cut. I worked at a church in Santa Rosa that was bigger than Northgate. I was the guy. I was the worship pastor there. And they said, hey, we'll pay you like less than half of what you were making. And you get to work under us, like under Jesse. Like you're not even the guy anymore. You just get to come hang out with us. Isn't this great? It's like, no, I don't want this. I have never had more peace and affirmation so quickly. It's amazing when God steps in and leads you somewhere. And, and, and the church here was so kind. Um, I have to preface this because when I leave it at that, I know like a few of you are going to go to Larry and like, you're not paying John. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to make this statement for Larry right now. Uh, yeah, so they made it. They were so generous. They made an awesome uh, offer for me that was when I, when I left that church, I was so beaten up and broken and you know I was going through depression and all that stuff and it's like I don't want to work in a church just because I don't I don't think I can and they said why don't you come work with us for a year and we're gonna take care of all of your bills for you and you just come heal while you're here and it was such a generous offer he said you do it for a year and then at the end of the year if you don't ever want to work here again that's cool we'll send you to another church or you can go work at a Chick-fil-a or do whatever you want to do and (laughs) but if you do want to work here we'll have a job for you and I think it was like four months into it I was like, okay, we don't need to wait a year. I'm in. Let's do this. When God, when you let God in and you surrender to him, he does incredible things. Now, there's one word that's kind of been the whole thread through this song, and I've mentioned it a few times, and it's the word surrender. Do you see the key to an intimate relationship with God is surrender? I love the words of this song. Just like Zoe said in the, in the video, it, it's beautifully written. It's super powerful. And the song pulls from ancient medieval war poetry called a lorica. And what a lorica was, uh, if I was going into battle, I would pray to whichever God that I worshipped at the time, and I would recite this mantra that was, God, protect my shield, make it strong that I don't get attacked, I can block arrows, make my sword fast so I can smite my enemies. But if you notice the language here, 
It's a Lorica for life. It's everything about it. It's not just this battle ahead. It is every area of your life, and it is a song of surrender. See, these Loricas that were recited by knights going into, into battle, it was what they could do. Whereas this Lorica, this mantra, this surrender song is about what God can do for you when you surrender to him. So my question for you here today is what is your song of surrender that you're saying every morning? Because if it's not offensive, I guarantee you it's defensive. Is it Frank Costanza? Serenity now! Serenity now! At the end of your day. Are you waking up and you're like, God, just give me enough hours to get through this day. Please don't let me work with that person again. They're miserable. We all know who they are. What's your surrender song? I remember I I went through a, a life plan. I got to go through that last year, and it was so cool. Um, and, and it's a really big thing that helps you kind of see where you've been in life, what your skills are, what you're good at. And then the second day of it, it's a two-day process, kind of maps out what you should be doing with your life. Because of what you've done and your giftings and your skills, what you should do. And I remember I was going through it with Pastor Larry, and in between the two days, he said, I need you to go home and write a letter of surrender. Because what we're about to get into, it might not be what you want to hear. And you need to be willing to surrender to whatever God wants you to do. And I felt so embarrassed. That was the first time I've ever surrendered or gone through that process of, God, I'm gonna surrender. Pastor Larry even talks about uh, when he wakes up in the morning, he surrenders everything. God, these are my feet. I surrender to you, my feet today. Let the steps I take glorify you. God, let my hands build up your kingdom. God, here's my mouth. I surrender it to you. Let every word I say edify your body. Let it encourage people. What are you surrendering? with your heads bowed, maybe you need to surrender in just one of these areas of your life. Maybe you've never done this before, and this is brand new, and you're like, man, I, I feel like I want to surrender, but I just don't know what, where to get started. Maybe try the tithe. Start with the hardest one. Start with your finances. Let God get in there and start changing some stuff around and show you how awesome he is. Maybe you need to surrender your time. Maybe your, your time is your most precious thing. Maybe it's time to surrender your relationships, your family, your friends. Maybe it's time for you just to surrender everything. Maybe you've been trying this whole life on your own and you're exhausted and you're tired and it's just time to surrender it all. Would you take a second? If this is you today, maybe it's, it's time. Make, surrender today. Don't put it off. Just like we've done every week, I want to sing uh, two of the verses of this song with you. So will you stand up as we sing this together? Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me. That thou art, thou my best all by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my life. 
my King of heaven, win victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun, heart of my own heart, whatever befalls, still be my vision. God, I pray that we have an understanding that there is nothing as precious as a relationship with you. And that true surrender is what walks us into this relationship. So God, I pray for all of us in the areas that we haven't let go control, that you will show us how to let them go here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. I want to leave you guys with a blessing before you go. So if you would, uh, if you'll stick your hands out kind of as a a posture of receiving. And I want to bless you with a passage from Jeremiah chapter 9. Many believe this is the passage that the song was actually even written from. And you'll see why. Uh, This is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. If you guys need prayer, if you need to talk to somebody about this idea of surrender, we have prayer partners that are down in the front right here. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next week.